Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Okay, so last time we talked about the cerebellum and the anatomy and the microcirculatory. Now we're going to talk about the outputs from the um, from the cerebellum. That's right, yeah. It sounds a bit counterintuitive to talk about the outputs first, but I think if you can understand the outputs, sort of the inputs start to make sense as well. Mm. So let's talk about a couple of key features before we talk about outputs. Firstly, the cerebellum, the cerebellum or outputs affect ipsilateral side, unlike, let's say, the cortex where okay. um, it's all contralateral. Mm. And there's a couple of reasons why this happens. Firstly, is that the outputs can double cross, so they can get out, cross, and as they go into the cortex, and we'll give you some examples where they can cross back again. Yeah. Or alternatively, they don't cross at all, and they just affect the ipsilateral side. Okay. So by ipsilateral, we mean the same side, not the opposite side of the body. Mm. Now, let's get into it, Andy. Let's talk about some of the um, different pathways. Yeah. So... Let's start with the dentate nucleus. That's okay. a key one. Yep. And there are two important output pathways for that as well. So do you want to talk about the first one? Okay. One of them was the, um, these are the outputs coming from the lateral cerebellar hemisphere, mm-hmm. isn't it? So they would go to the dentate nucleus. And what will happen from the dentate nucleus is that the output would go out the superior cerebellar peduncle and it would go t- and cross to the contralateral ventral lateral nucleus in the thalamus. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So go to the opposite side and go to the thalamus. Mm-hmm. Once it goes to the thalamus, if you recall, what the ventral lateral nucleus does is that it, res- it sends outputs into the motor cortex yep. and the supplementary motor area. And what will happen from that point on is that it's going to contact the corticospinal tracts. Exactly. And remember, the corticospinal tracts go down and cross at the pyramid. So mm-hmm. we've had one cross. Uh, before the, before the yep. thalamus. Yep. Exactly. And then the cortex crosses again, so we end up on the same side. Okay. And that's what we mean by a double cross. Okay, so the golden rule with cerebellum is it's always on the same side. Exactly, that's right. Yep. So uh, there's another important pathway okay. that the dentate nucleus sends information to, and that is to the red nucleus. Okay, how that We've come across the red nucleus before when yep. we talk about the motor pathway, so if you're not familiar with that, um, go back and have a listen. Yep. But the red nucleus is divided into the parvocellular region, Mm-hmm as well as the magnocellular region. Okay. The parvocellular region is important for um, communicating. Where It's the region where the dentate nucleus communicates to in the red nucleus. And the parvocellular layer sends communications down to the inferior um, olivary nucleus, which um, we've mentioned. And that sends the climbing fibers, um, as we've discussed in the microsecretary, that then go back to innovate the, um, the, cere- um, the cerebellum. So essentially, mm-hmm. it's this loop that the dentate nucleus does. Um, that's the key two pathways that I think are really important to know. Yeah. What What about sort of where does the intermediate hemisphere communicate to? Yeah. So we mentioned last episode it goes to the interpose nuclei, which contain the emboliform or the globose nucleus. Yeah. And they once they once information reaches these nuclei, they would send information through the superior cerebellar peduncle, mm-hmm. and it would once again cross to the contralateral side of the thalamus to the ventral lateral nucleus. Yeah. And um, and what will happen from that point on is that that information would go to the motor or supplementary motor area or the premotor cortex. Yeah. Um, so pretty much very similar to what happened with the dentate nucleus. I guess the difference would just be the type of information that they carry, and which yeah. we'll talk about exactly. later on. I think yeah, um, uh, interspose nucleus, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. come, you know, the intermediate cerebellum region yep. communicates the interspose, and that mainly communicates the distal Mm. Um, information this still part of the body information as well mm. so they have different functional um, modalities yeah now let's um, talk about the other region that communicates as well so the interposed nucleus also communicates to the red nucleus again okay but this time to the magnocellular layer 
Yep. And the magnocellular layer sends the outputs via the reticular spinal tract. Uh, sorry, yeah. sorry, the rubrospinal tract, rubrofored, um, yep. um, which we've mentioned in our previous episode. And I think rubrospinal tract is important for fine coordination in the fingers and the hands. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they have two different outputs. Let's talk about the vermis as well. So, the vermis is more of a midline um, structure in the, in the cerebellum. What does that communicate to? Which nucleus? Okay. The vermis communicates with the vestigial nucleus, mm-hmm. and what will happen from that point on is that they will um, lead to medial motor pathways such as the anterior, so corticospinal tracts, the reticulospinal tracts, vestibular spinal tracts, or tectal spinal tracts. Um, so it affects these types of motor pathways, uh, but it also projects to the ventral lateral nucleus in the thalamus as well. Right? Exactly, yep. Mm. Um, but the way I remember vermis is that vermis is a midline structure in the cere- cerebellum and it also happens to communicate to a lot of the midline cortical um, uh, the motor tracts as well. So when mm. we said midline, we're referring to the um, detective spinal, for example, the mm-hmm. reticular um, spinal, as, mm. as well as the... Um, what's the other one? The... Um, so it was the tectospinal, mm-hmm. the reticular spinal, as well as the um, vestibular spinal as okay, well. Yeah. I forget. We always forget that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's a good way of remembering it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also a final lobe, and that's the floicular nodular lobe, yep. um, or the, uh, lobe, and that communicates to the vestibular nuclei. And I guess the names kind of suggest what would be a, an output from the vestibular nuclei. So the vestibular nuclei would be related to, like, so... Um, it has something to do with like the balances and also more importantly it also has something to do with like your eye movements mm-hmm. as well which is that's why they're so closely related to nystagmus yeah the way it controls that is it controls it through the medial longitudinal fasciculus mm-hmm. that communicates between um the uh so cranial nerve number three and cranial nerve number six yep yep which we can talk about in our cranial in the, nerve episodes yeah. yeah but yeah so essentially from the fo- from the vestibular nuclei that communicates through the medial longitudinal fasciculus to influence these vestibular ocular reflexes, mm-hmm. your um, control of your eye movements, so smooth pursuits and other eye movements. Exactly, yeah, and I think it also may communicate mm-hmm. to the vestibular, um, um, the, the vestibular spinal pathways as well, which are important, like you mentioned, to orientating and maintaining head position as well. Okay, so yeah. as you can see, unlike the basal ganglia, the cerebellum affects mm-hmm. a number of pathways yes. potentially simultaneously as well, and its scope of effect is much larger than the basal ganglia. So that's mainly the um, the outputs. Do you want to briefly mention some of the inputs as well, Andy? Sure. So with the inputs, right? So we've got different types of inputs, and one of them is mainly from the cortex. And how does the information from the or the cerebellum? Uh, how does the input from the cortex reach the cerebellum? Is that it can go through this corticopontine fibers? So what that happens is that from the from the cerebellum, they go through. Uh, corticopontine fibers. And then, is it through the internal, internal capsule as well, I think? Yes. Yeah. They descend to, um, and then they once they reach the pons, that's when these fibers synapse, mm-hmm. and then they would cross to the contralateral side through these fibers called the pontocerebellar fibers. Yeah. And what happens is that once they, uh, when they cross, they will go through the middle cerebell, uh, cerebellar peduncles, yep. and they would give rise to mossy fibers, which then go to the respective um, respective nucleus. Exactly. There are also other inputs as well. For example, the red nucleus, as we mentioned, um, sign, uh, via the parvocellular layer synapses on the inferior olive, mm-hmm. and, the par- and then climbing fibers cross 
mm-hmm. um, and then go into the cerebellum and, and innovate the cerebellum. So they, I think, sign up to the Peking G5s, which we've mentioned in a previous episode. Yep. There are also inputs into the cerebellum that don't cross. So, for example, the reticular inputs from the reticular formation, which we'll talk about in a future episode, the vestibular nuclei, as well as inputs from the spinal cord don't mm-hmm. cross. Mm-hmm. Out of these, I think the spinal cord inputs are really important because they relate qu- quite closely to some of the pathologies. There are a number of pathways, Andy. Do you want to maybe um, mention some of those? Okay. So the ones that were most um, dominant would be the dorsal and ventral spinal cerebellar pathways, which, yep. were, which are mentioned quite heavily in some textbooks. Um, but you've also got a cuneocerebellar and a rostral cerebellar... Uh, sorry, ros- cuneocerebellar and a rostral spinal cerebellar tract. Tracks, yep. And um, the difference between these two is that the dorsal and ventral spinal cerebellar tracts contain these um, proprioceptive information... I think it was... Pro- uh, some of them are proprioceptive, yeah. some of them are interneuron information. Okay, I want to jump ahead. But they contain information from lower extremities, mm-hmm. whereas the cuneocerebellar and the rostrospinal cerebellar tracts contain information from the upper extremities and neck. Yep, exactly. A yeah. bit of a trick with this is that, okay. for some reason, the cuneocerebellar is actually it gets information, but it's not, not actually located in the spine. It's actually located in the caudal medulla. Okay. So it's located in, in the medulla. So don't be confused if you don't see that in a spinal cross-section. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, as you mentioned, the dorsal spinal cerebellar, which mm-hmm. receives information from the lower extremity, and the cuneocerebellar, which gets somehow inputs from the upper extremity, relate afronym, uh, relate proprioceptive information. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ventral and the rostral spinal cerebellar pathways receive uh, sort of inter- interneurons and they re- are assessing the activity within the spinal tract to oh. give feedback into the, um, the cerebellum. Okay. Do you want to mention what's unique about the ventral spinal cerebellar tract? Something interesting happens there yeah, as well. very interesting. And so it all, all once again comes down to um, everything with related to the spinal uh, with with the cerebellum happens on the same side. Mm-hmm. So most of the tracts that we described all ascend ipsilaterally they do not cross to the opposite side but the exception is with the uh with the ventral um, spinal cerebellar tract where once the information comes in it crosses to the opposite side ascends contralaterally and then it goes crosses back again into the cerebellum exactly so it's a double cross isn't it yeah yeah it's it's really interesting but it still uh, adheres to the ipsilateral sort of lesions effect ipsilateral side speaking of lesions we won't go into it too much because we're hoping to reserve this for when we talk about the pathologies of um of the nervous system yeah but what would happen if you let's say the cerebellum cerebral um, cerebellum pathway so let's say the cortical pontine pathways are affected Mm. okay so what could happen is that um you could develop hypotonia or intention tremors um, you could start to have a overshooting of targets, mm-hmm. so your coordination is obviously um, um, affected. Um, there's this thing called a dysdiadocokinesia, yeah. which is heavily related to the um, with the cerebellum, where you lose this rhythmic control, mm-hmm. and uh, especially with alternating limb patterns. Yeah. And then also you get this problem with you could lose your timing and control of your speech, mm-hmm. so your tone could also be. Um, suddenly really soft and suddenly really loud yeah and yeah. you have problems with your articulation as well yeah i think what's it called cerebellar dystonias um yeah dystonias i can't remember off the top of my head yeah um and for example if you have a lesion affecting the spinal cerebellar inputs or inputs that are taking proprioceptive information in mm-hmm. you're going to have difficulty with balance and coordination mm-hmm. 
Um, you're going to have uh, attacks at gait um, and just clumsy movement because you can't really assess where your joints are relative to each other and, and in space. Yeah. And so uh, that's something that you can observe in some patients as well. And mm-hmm. what would happen if, let's say, if the vestibular cerebellar pathways are affected? Yeah. So similarly, you, require, you, you would require like the vestibular function to help with your balance. So you'd also get ataxia with some um, swaying in your stances as well. So it, and th- one of the other things was that you would develop nystagmus, mm. and that was similar to what we are linking that to previously what we mentioned about with the um, with it's linked to the medial longitudinal fasciculus. Yeah. And I think we haven't defined really what nystagmus is, don't we? We'll hopefully talk about in and when we talk about um, eye pathologies, but it's abnormal eye movements, so mm. these fast um, corrections and things like that, which we'll explore in a future episode. Yeah. So that's it for inputs and outputs of the cerebellum. Do you want to just do a very brief summary mm. of um, some of the input pathways and some yep. of the output pathways? Okay. Um, starting from the input pathways, so you've got inputs from the, you could get inputs from the cortex, and um, so what that would do is that they would go through the cerebropontine uh, fibers, and then synapse at the ponto at the pons, and then go through pontocerebellum, um, crossing to the opposite side through the, and enter the um, cerebellum. By the mossy fibers. The, mossy fibers through the middle uh, cerebellar peduncle. Yep. If the input comes from the spinal cerebellar pathways, from the spine, then they would ascend ipsilaterally, usually, mm-hmm. and you remember the, the exception, yep. and then they would go through the inferior um, cerebellar yep. peduncle and go to their respective mm-hmm. nuclei. And in terms of the major outputs-wise, um, most of the path- pathways, so with the from the dentate nucleus and from the interposed nucleus, they all ascend through the superior um, cerebellar peduncle and can either go to the thalamus or to the red nucleus Um, and then the with the vestigial nucleuses then they can actually descend through the inferior cerebellar peduncle outside and go to their respective locations and cause the changes. And vestigial comes from the vermis and vermis is a midline structure so it affects a lot of the midline sort of the um, um, motor pathways that we've mentioned in our previous episode and Mm. floccular nodular communicate to the vestibular nuclei and vestibular nuclei is important for balance and mm. so it's important communicate directs the the tracks involved with balance so that's it it's yeah. a very complicated area we hope um mm. you've got a bit of an insight into it now obviously you need to do a bit, a bit of your own reading as well mm. and if you have any feedbacks or comments let us know yeah um we hope to keep moving with the various anatomical structures in the in the brain so stay tuned for our future episodes see you next time today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.